So, um, but it's from Habakkuk, and it says, are, are you not from, are you are of purer eyes than to behold evil? And, and you can't look on iniquity. And it was just that phrase. And, uh, and I was like, where is that? I don't think it's in the Psalms. And then I, so I, I have a Bible app on my phone, and I looked it up, and it's in Habakkuk, which is weird because I try to read the Old Testament through once a year or once every year and a half, but I, it's just been a while since I've been in it. So I really felt like it was something the Lord was wanting to, want me to go deeper in. And so uh, I, I've also been praying just about, there's just a lot of talk about end time stuff right now and how to view things in light of the, the coronavirus. And that's kind of the, how to, and just kind of get a, a footing on where, like how I should position my heart and like think about this stuff. I, I really haven't known. And it's been a question I've had. And like, I've, there's been times I've been praying just in my room, just going, God, I don't know what I'm supposed to, like, I don't know really how I'm supposed to, how you want me to look forward and all this stuff, you know, like what kind of, heart position I'm supposed to have and sometimes I get really discouraged like well you know if all this stuff is happening you know what what am I supposed to be doing and just really not knowing how to just kind of align my walk with with the Lord and just trust him during the stuff but anyway I've just been having like these kind of all these questions with the Lord and so I've read Habakkuk and um it's it's so encouraging because it's about this this guy this I don't even think he's a prophet but uh, his name means he that, I think it means he that embraces a comforter is the name cool. Habakkuk. Isn't that cool? Uh -huh. I love that. And so, um, but he's, basically it's this book about his conversation with God when God, so he's complaining to God about everything that he's seeing going wrong in God's people. Like they are being so corrupt in so many ways. Like God's people are being corrupt. And so um, he's crying out to God about it. Like, aren't you going to do something? Like, how, how are you going to sit here? And like, what am I supposed to do to change all this? And who's going to change all this? And God, why don't you change your people's hearts? And kind of that feel. And then God answers him. And God basically tells him, I'm going to send the Babylonians, you know, to take over. Mm. <laughs> and they're going to bring, bring my judgment on my people. And then Habakkuk's like, what the heck basically you know you're bringing these wicked people to judge your people like aren't you gonna judge them you know why why don't you do it in your own people why are you bringing this wicked people to bring your judgment on your own people and so it's just his his uh prayer to god um about what god is doing and 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 kind of just his complaint to god about the way god uses even wicked people to bring judgment even in his own people's lives you know and um and so i want to read uh i, I want to kind of start with the last part of habakkuk but then end what i feel like god has wanted me to kind of elaborate on with uh a little bit more from habakkuk but anyway the last habakkuk ends with basically that he gets he sees that god's judgment is coming from a wicked nation like this nation that just kind of treats people like he, he says they like pull them in like fish and just kind of put them out wherever they want and they give glory to their own God not even to God for what they're doing and um, and so Habakkuk God somehow in the midst of his prayer and complaint to God gets this like steadfast prayer of faith at the end of it like this way to stand through the midst of it and so it ends with Habakkuk saying, Although the fig tree will not blossom, neither fruit on the vines, and the labor of the olive tree fails, and the fields uh, don't yield any meat, and the flock is cut off from the fold, and there be no herds in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength, and he will make my feet like uh, the feet of a deer, and he will make me to walk on my high places to the chief singer on my stringed instruments. And and so I just love that he ends with God making him have feet that are like the feet of this animal that rock, that walks on these rocky mountainous places, you know, like it's not easy places he's walking on, but he gave him feet 
to walk on these really treacherous places and be able to stand on those things. I, I love that. So I was thinking about that and then um, just the character of God and how God often, the way that God uses everything is for his glory. Just every, every wicked nation, everything that happens, it's all to bring this sifting and this purifying in his people. So I'm going to go back about uh, 250 years <laughs> to... That'd be like talking about the American Revolution now, but from Habakkuk, I'm going to rewind back to a guy named Elijah. And um, Elijah and Elisha are like probably two of the funnest people to read about in the Old Testament. I think Elisha more than Elijah, but um, this is in 2 Kings. Uh, so this is from actually from 1 Kings 19. And so, so Elijah pops into the scene of history. Like it's like, you don't hear anything about him in the whole Bible. And then all of a sudden, 1 Kings 19, Elijah came from Gilead, you know? And so he just kind of, not 19, uh, he just kind of pops onto the scene after, um, I don't know. Do y'all need a background with what's happened with God's people? Would sure, that help why you not? guys? Okay. So kind of very, very quick summary of what's happening with what's happened with God's people. They're born out of faith from, from Abraham. They're Abraham's descendants. Uh, they go into captivity in Egypt for 400 years. Uh, they're brought out by this, you know, this awesome way from Egypt. Uh, they're united as people in the wilderness, like, which I think is interesting. Like God's people are not really united all that much in their history, but when they're in the wilderness, they're all united. Um, and they're brought into this promised land where they're supposed to subdue their enemies and kill the Amalekites and subdue other people. But they end up bowing to these people's gods uh, and kind of end up being defiled in a lot of ways. Samuel comes along, the prophet. Um, he, uh, they're they're kind of united under Samuel, but they, they also say, we want a king like all these other nations around us have. You know, we're, we want a king also. And so that happens through Saul. Uh, but Saul disobeyed the Lord, wasn't obedient. And so Samuel, or God, raised up a man after his own heart, David, um, who wasn't, you know, what the world would consider fit to be a king. He was, you know, raising sheep, and God caused him to be a king. Um, and through David's lineage, God basically says, I'm going to bring the ultimate king who's going to rule my people. Um and then under David's reign, God's people are kind of, at times are unified. Some, then they go into like not being unified and then they are unified again. And then David's son Solomon starts to rule and that's when the temple is built and then all of God's people are unified. Uh, but Solomon really has a heart for the ladies and his, they draw out his heart to all these other gods. And, and so God brings judgment and, um, and he, part of God's judgment was again, separate, like causing division in his people. And, um, and so you've got this Northern part of God's people, Israel, and you've got the Southern part of God's people, Judah. And so Israel was the first to, because they were the people ruling Israel were afraid that all the people that were in their, their kingdom, their part of God's people, whenever they would have the feasts in Jerusalem, that they would go and leave Israel, go down to Jerusalem and kind of realize, you know what? We're, we're in alignment with David's line being where God's, God's heart is kind of going. So we're going to be reunited with Judah, the Southern part. And so what Israel does is with their King, especially this happens through a guy named Jeroboam, he starts to build up copies, copies of what's happening in Israel. I'm sorry, in Judah, in Jerusalem, he makes copies of it and uh, builds, makes golden calves, just like they had when they came out of Egypt that really made Moses and the Lord mad. And evidently they didn't know the history of, the, of their own people very good, or they would have realized like, wait a second, wasn't this what God was really mad about and what made Moses break the first 10 commandments, you know, was like, they, we made a golden calf, but here you got this, this Northern 
king and he's like hey here's this golden calf here's one in bethel here's one in dan that way you don't have to travel south to jerusalem to worship god you can just do it here with these golden calves these are your, the same gods that brought you out of egypt here you go worship them and i mean just throws god's people leads them into being idolatrous and and so they even start worshiping this this uh god named ba baal baal and um baal and in summary what you did with baal was you you gathered around in a circle i took a picture i, I looked this up like in summary what it meant to worship baal but this is why god hated it so much in summary worshiping baal was adults would gather around the altar of baal and infants babies would then be burned alive as a sacrificial offering to the deity baal um it was a ritual of convenience and it was intended to produce economic prosperity uh, by prompting baal to bring rain to the uh, for the fertility of mother earth and so they were like god hated that so much and but that's what the northern kings first really started just giving themselves over to so in steps this guy named elijah and elijah is not sent to the people who are still for the most part following the true yahweh the true god he's sent to these people that are disobeying the lord like they are in total evil and he sent to them and he goes to this king the current king of the northern kingdom named called israel and the southern kingdoms called judah and so he goes to the northern kingdom and he's like there will be no rain in this area like your your sacrifices to your child to your your children to baal you know like it's not going to work there's going to be no rain until the word of the lord comes and says so and so kind of shuts down like everything they're wanting to do with their idol idolatrous heart toward to get rain because back then they lived in you know the more food you had the more prosperous prosperous you were and you, the more money and you had and, on the rain. yeah they really did and so um god just shuts down their economy basically and then uh this guy elijah he he runs away well the king guy named um uh, Ahab he had married a lady who is a Zidonian a lady from Phoenicia from from Zidon so she was Zidonian and she was really big into this idol worship well when Elijah runs away he goes to another Zidonian lady so okay so the king his name's Ahab his wife her name's Jezebel Jezebel was actually a Zidonian princess like her her daddy was king over the Zidonians and they were really big into Baal worship well a uh, Elijah he goes and gives this word there's not going to be no rain and then God tells him to go and stay with a Zidonian lady a widow from a area of, Zid of Zidon called uh, Zarephath I don't know how you say it correctly and so she's also from the same place as this Zidonian princess but and she also has a son and uh, who gets sick elijah doesn't sacrifice him elijah heals him so just to kind of just show the difference between the god that's the true god and the god of that these that israel's given themselves to you know you've got a god who's looking out for the widow and their child versus a god who is sacrificing their own children for the sake of their own prosperity which is kind of what we do today through abortion. It's like we don't want to pay the bills. We, we want to have fewer bills, easier time, whatever. And so for our own prosperity, we sacrifice our children. Mm -hmm. But anyway, so he is um, hes sent to this woman who's a widow. She's poor. He stays with her for three years. And, you know, there's no rain. So finally, after three years, the word of the Lord, and he's just with this widow woman and heals her son has some stuff happen with that but anyway after three years uh god tells him go and confront now's the time to confront these prophets of baal and just um confront them on their own turf and so he does and so it's a really cool story i mean it's like one of the most awesome stories in the whole old testament i think you know where he's just like you know gets all the prophets of baal together gets king ahab and he's like 
call on your, why don't you call on your God and ask him to send the rain? And so they are just like whipping themselves. They are working up a frenzy, dancing around. I mean, just going crazy for hours trying to make the rain come. And then, you know, we know the story Elijah says, okay, now on this altar, uh, I want you to pour, like, go get all, all the water you can find in the land. There wasn't a lot. So they're having to, like, find this water, whatever water they had. And he's, like, telling them to pour out whatever water they have on this altar and drench it. And he's like, and I'm going to have, just call down the fire. If the fire of God comes, you just know that he is the one true God and that's who you need to worship. I'm really paraphrasing this story. But, of course... They dump water, saturate this altar, and then the fire of God comes up, licks up all the water, is how the King James describes it, and and um, it's just this awesome story. But then after that, and then he tells him, he's like, there's rain coming, and uh, and it's not like he sees this huge thundercloud. He sees like a little poof cotton ball size little cloud in the sky, and he sees that little bitty thing, and he's like, rain is coming like the thunderstorm is coming so it didn't look like this huge massive black cloud coming it just looked like a little poofy cotton ball but it grew it grew and just started like building up and building up and this all this rain came and just um and he tells the people that are following god he's like go and slay these prophets of baal they're not even like they are just running you guys into ultimate ruin in every way possible they're not even worthy to live you know like they've they've had their chance to repent they haven't done it it's almost Take like care of when them. when it's i don't know if this is accurate or not but to me it seems like when he went to stay with the widow for three years and that god was in a way giving them an opportunity to repent because he kind of warned them yeah and then he kind of disappears, and it's almost like, okay. Yeah. Like he's giving them time, you know. That's a great long, point. Long I think time. that's true. Because it's, it's so funny the way that when he calls, I love the way that he just taunts them. Like he's not nice prophet. He's like, why don't you yell a little louder? Maybe they can't hear you. You know, like maybe your God can't hear you. Why don't you, you know, he's like really taunting them like that. I love it. I think it's great. But um, anyway, so basically Jezebel King Ahab witnesses the whole thing she gets word that Elijah's come what he's done and he's like basically commanded the slaying of all of her her the prophets of her God and she's like you go tell that man he's gonna die this is a woman it's a Zidonian princess whatever and but um, and Elijah runs for his life like he runs away after he's done this amazing work for the Lord, he runs, he splits. And um, I can still relate to that. And so this is what I wanted to touch on. So he, he uh, I'll start with 1 Kings uh, chapter 19, verse 4. Um, well, I'm going to skip down some. Uh, the angel of the Lord came to this is after Elijah had run away. He goes and he takes rest under a juniper tree. And he's just like running for his life, basically. And um, he asked some ravens, bring him, a, bring him some food. And um, I'm sorry, not, not then. Uh, he, an angel brings him a cake and some water. And he eats and he drinks it. And then the angel of the Lord came a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat because your journey is great for you. So he's calling, he's calling Elijah like, okay, this great thing happened. I see where you're at. Come and spend some time with me. Let's let's talk about this. So he arose and he ate and he drank and he went in the strength of that food for 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the Mount of God, which is where Moses got the Ten Commandments. And he came into a cave and he stayed there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? I mean, God told him to go there, but he's wanting, I love how God asks us, you know, just wants us to like acknowledge with ourselves what are we doing? Where are we at? You know? And he said, I've been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant. They've thrown down your altars. They've slain your prophets with the sword. And I, even I, am only left. And they seek my life to take it away. And so God says to Elijah, go out and stand, stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by and a great strong wind 
rent the mountains and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. So the first thing is the wind. This destructive wind comes. And then after the wind, an earthquake. So then a destructive earthquake comes. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, fire. So then a destructive fire comes, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. And so it was when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and he went out and he stood in the entering of the cave and there came a voice to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I've been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, slain your prophets with the sword, and I, even I, am left. And they seek my life to slay it, to take it away. And the Lord said to him, so the Lord gives him three things to do. And I thought this was really interesting because the Lord, before the Lord came in this still small voice, it's like the wind wasn't the answer of God, but it came before the Lord came, you know? And the earthquake wasn't the voice of the Lord, but it came before the voice of the Lord came. And the fire wasn't the word of the Lord, but it came before the still small voice of the Lord came. And so he says to him, go return. The Lord said to Elijah, go, go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. Go back this certain way. And when you come, anoint. So it gives him three things to do. Anoint Hazael to be king of Assyria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shepet of Abel, uh, Abel Mahola, you shall anoint to be prophet in your stead. And so it's like there's... And it just stuck out to me that I don't think it's coincidental that the Lord came in these three huge ways, wind an earthquake and fire, and then the still small voice. And he's telling Elijah to do these, to kind of appoint, put in place these three things that are going to bring some pretty destructive things. And so because in verse 17, it says, and it shall come to pass to him that escapes Whoever escapes the sword of Hazael from Syria, the Syrian guy, Jehu's going to kill. And whoever escapes from the sword of Jehu, Elisha's going to slay. And so I just kept thinking, there's like, it's almost like, oh, and then he says, but yet Elijah, like, there's still this still small voice. There's this still small remnant left. He goes, I've left 7,000 in Israel and all the knees which have not bowed to Baal and every mouth which has not kissed him. And so the Lord said, but yet there's this still small thing there that is that it hasn't, these, these hearts that I know that they haven't bowed down to this God. They're living in Israel. They're living under this, this crazy thing. And they haven't kissed the statue. They haven't sacrificed that. They've their hearts have been for me, and I know who they are. So there's this still small voice there, you know. And so I started thinking, what what was the... And so it's just interesting that God brings these, a destructive wind, a destructive earthquake, a destructive fire, and then the still small voice. And I just think that's the pattern that God uses a lot of times that we can, like, be aware of in the circumstance of what we're living in. Like... So he anoints him to these crazy people. Like, I started thinking, how bad was, quote unquote, the wind of Hazael? Well, if you look in 2 Kings chapter 8, uh, and actually the funny thing was, Elijah only does one of those things. Like, he only obeys God in one of those things, and that is anointing Elisha in his place. Elisha, the one that God told Elijah, he's like, get Elisha to take your place. He's the one that fulfilled the other two things Elijah was supposed to be obedient in. Elisha anointed Hazael and Elisha anointed Jehu. Like Elijah took off to heaven, you know, <laughs> and, other, and his person that God told him to anoint his prophet did it instead, you know. I think there's more to be said about that, but that's not what I want to stick on. But anyway, the, the wind, quote unquote, of Hazael for God to bring his judgment so that this, this still small voice could be heard. There are these things that have to happen first. Number one, Hazael, anointed uh, king over Syria. And so how bad was it? Second Kings chapter eight, 
This is Elijah. And so 8.12, he says, this is Elisha speaking to Hazael. Uh, Hazael has gotten sick. He's in Syria. He's not king yet of Syria. And Elisha said, so he goes and he seeks out Elisha, this Hazael guy in Syria, who's not an Israelite. And he says, um, I'm sick. Go ask Elisha. Am I going to make it or not? Am I going to live? Long story short, I'm very much paraphrasing that whole story. But anyway, Elisha said to Hazael, this is 2 Kings chapter 8, verse 10. Go and say to him, you will certainly recover. Howbeit the Lord has shown me that... Um, oh, wait. Uh, oh, sorry. Hazael... Let me rewind. Mistake. So, Eli, Hazael goes on behalf of his king, who's Ben-Hadad of Syria. And Ben-Hadad says, Hazael, go to Elisha and ask him if I'm going to make it. And so, Hazael goes to Elisha says, hey, is... My king, Ben-Hadad, over Syria, is he going to live or die? You know, I'm supposed to bring word back to him. And so Elisha said to Hazael, go say to him, uh, you will certainly recover, but howbeit the Lord has shown me that he will surely die. And he set his countenance steadfastly. Like this is Elijah. Elisha starts just looking at this Hazael guy, just looking at him like, I, I, I just imagine with like the most intense, like straight face, like just full of this deep, meaningful, intense, serious face, looks at Hazael until Hazael was ashamed. He's like, man, why are you looking at me, you know? And Elisha starts weeping. And Hazael says, why are you weeping? And Elisha said, because I know the evil that you're going to do to the, to the children of Israel. Their strongholds you're going to set on fire, and their young, young men you're going to slay with the sword, and you will dash their children, and you will rip up their woman with children. And Hazael says, What is your servant like a dog that I would do this great thing? And Elisha answered, The Lord has shown me that you will be king over Syria. And so, and Hazael does this thing. He's a brutal dictator. He takes over, he's ruler of Syria, and he, Syria, and he does this judgment. How he brings this thing on Israel. On God's people you know he brings this thing there and so there's that wind that that loud wind coming through from this guy named Hazael that God appointed to sweep through Israel maybe wake him up maybe get their attention it just, it, it just all reminds me of now and Trump yeah <laughs> is, is that you get the same thing too from this I don't know I don't know how to interpret it like I'm trying to go into politics but it's just I know, right? No, I'm not trying, but yeah. Well, then, uh, so then there's an earthquake that comes before Elijah hears the still small voice. And so the second thing God says is anoint Jehu to be king over um, Israel. So you've got this wind of Hazael coming through, and then you've got this earthquake of a guy named Jehu that God appoints to be king over Israel. And how much was how like how crazy was that this guy named Jehu he's in 2nd Kings um, uh, chapter 9 and uh, basically in, in summary of all of 2nd Kings chapter 9 and chapter 10 Jehu was a madman out to do the the vengeance of the Lord like Elisha anoints him king over Israel and so whoever escaped to Zael, the Syrian guy Jehu then comes through and he not only kills the, the reigning Israel king at the time, he kills his whole family. He kills the king of Judah who's like standing with him at the time. Like he just shows no mercy. He just comes in and they say that uh, he rides furiously on his horse. Like the ground, he's just, the ground is quaking, you know, the sound of his horse is coming through. And he's just riding furiously, like steadfast, like taking out the vengeance of God on it, on God's own people, on Israel, because they've forsaken the Lord. And so you've got him sweeping through. And then the Lord tells Elijah, and then whoever escapes Jehu shall Elisha slay. And then you've got this fire that comes through. And so then we read about uh, in Second Kings chapter 6. It's, it's a few chapters before, but kind of the way the Bible is arranged, it's not totally in like consecutive order. So then Elisha, who God told Elijah, hey, make Elisha prophet in your place, you know. So Elisha is, is 
is a uh, it, it just it, I don't think it's coincidental that there's this wind there's this there's this earthquake and then there's this fire you know and so God <laughs> this guy named Elisha he's he's um where is it second Kings chapter 10 I'm sorry uh no second Kings chapter 6 um he is uh let me see if I can find it. Excuse me for a minute. Uh, okay, so Syria, the, the same people that Elisha anointed their king, like he's still working. Like, So Syria is like fighting against Israel. And God is telling this Israeli guy to go and name the king over Syria. Like name the king over the, the enemies of God. Like name it. So God is in control of all this stuff, you know. Um, and... Uh, he says, so Sirius come against, um, is uh, coming up to basically speak to Elisha. I'm not going to go into the whole story. But in chapter uh, 18, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of skip around. Elisha is really, really cool. Like Dean, if you want to do a study on Elisha, that'd be awesome. Hint, hint. <laughs> um, so they came down to, uh, oh, let's see. You know what? I'm going to back up to... Uh, 15 and when the servant of the servant of Elisha uh, had risen up early this is, this is uh, second Kings chapter 6 verse 15 he'd risen up early he went out and behold a host compass com was around the city with horses and chariots and his servant said Elijah my master what are we gonna do like we are surrounded by all these um, by uh, the Syrians you know and he said don't be afraid, for they that are with us are more than they that are with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, the servant, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire around Elisha. And when they came to him, Elisha prayed unto the Lord and said, Smite the people with blindness. And God smote this, the Syrians with blindness. And according to the word of Elisha, and... Um, and basically what Elijah ends up happening, being surrounded with the fire of God, he smites these people coming up against him in a certain situation with blindness, and he leads them into Israel and then shows Israel, like basically says, serve these people, feed them, like feed your enemy, love your enemy, serve them, you know, as a, I think, just as a forerunner and as a picture of Jesus. But it was just interesting to me that uh and then what happens is you've got the still small voice of the lord like not moving like doing these through Eli elisha actually reaching out in these really really obscure places and doing miracles like so, so the kings of israel lived in samaria and it wasn't like this huge glorious city of that time like the big time cities of that day were gath gath was a big city damascus was a big city i mean those are like it'd be like comparing like decatur gainesville texas to like los angeles or like gainesville to new york or something you know like like the city where god has this elisha guy you know um they're just so they're just so insignificant in the eyes of the world but in the eyes of God like God is using this man in this place in this place that's gone away like this insignificant place on the map and according to the world has walked away from God and it's so important to God he sends his own judgment against this this place you know to to hopefully turn them back to his heart like it's in the world's eyes it's this it's this insignificant place meant to be taken over hey we're going to rule over you you know just why are you even resisting us but to god it's like god is using the world to bring his judgments he's using the these enemies of of god he's actually using them ordaining them to carry out his own purposes so that they might hear that still small voice they might turn their hearts to god they might see where god is really working and so you have this whole story of elisha like i mean just doing these 
I'm so glad it's even in the Bible because they're not things that's written in, you know, if you look in the annals of world history, they're not recorded in the kings of Damascus or the kings of Babylon or whatever, but they are in the Bible because they were important because God looks at the still small voice, the, 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 the small number of people who are left, you know, who are remaining that have a heart toward God. And, um, it just stuck out to me that even in this day, you know, we can just know the character of God that even though these things might be, and I hope this is making sense kind of, but, but just the character of God and like bringing these, even anointing, appointing these things, but, but may it be in our hearts, like where we're like that 7,000 God has reserved that won't bow the knee, you know, that will hear the still small voice and just hear the voice and be able to see what God is doing to widows, to, uh, you know, some, some guy who's got leprosy, some in military officers got leprosy, you know, some, some people that drop their, their ax in the water and, and they, they need their ax head back. And so God makes it flow, you know, just things like that are happening in the midst of Elisha's story. So I want to flip way over like a couple other thousand years to Luke chapter 21. (laughs) I always like to, I don't know. I love the old Testament, but I think it all pictures in some way, just the heart of God and how we're, the Lord wants us to hear his heart and just have an eye, um, have the heart of Jesus and where Jesus is looking, what he wants us to be attuned to and not be shaken by and things like that. So I'm going to read from the old King James, but Luke chapter 21, I think is it, says, um, is this making sense to you guys? Mm-hmm. Like, it's good. Um, I love the pattern of the Old Testament because I think it gives me anyway a picture because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so to me, it just reminds me like, who is this? I want to know the Lord. I want to know his character. I want to know what he's like throughout the century, throughout the day, the uh-huh. from the ancient of days to the modern uh-huh. days, you know, what is his character like and how does he move and what does he look for? And, and it helps me not be so shaken and so doubtful and so fearful and so... Um, you know, just my eye on the wrong thing when all this stuff is happening. So Luke uh, 21. I'm going to be honest. I never really read that. I'm going to read it tonight, but, and I'm half sleepy, so I kind of, I'm like, kind of don't understand a little bit, but I get where you coming from, but I got to read the story. Ask questions, please, because it helps me. I, I'm Like I said, this is my first time to like really do like a teaching like this. Like usually yeah. I'm just kind of on the fly. So, like, yeah. anything y'all ask will probably help me refine, like, okay. things to make it make more sense to people. Because I really do want to, I really do want to make it clear so that even kids could understand this stuff, you know. Yeah. And so, when the questions come, it helps me be, be like, okay, I need to be more clarified on this, you know. And, yeah. like, make yeah. that, be more in prayer about that. So, it helps me when you ask questions that are clarifying. Okay. I've read some of these stories, but not all of them. So, now I'm, like, it really curious. Want to. It makes me want to read it. Elisha, doing your job. Good. Yes, that's what a good teacher's supposed to do. Yes. Because when I hear stories about Elijah, you may not put it together quite the way she's putting it together because she's jumped the Old Testament. It'll like tell all these stories and then start over and tell all these stories again, and then it'll tell these pieces of these stories and these mm-hmm. books. And so she's kind of laying it all out but when you read it you may not gather all Mm -hmm. that like I've read the Bible a bunch of times but I didn't put together the you know the whole rain thing and the story of the altar it's like when you were saying that my first thought was man isn't it interesting how God often asks us to put on the altar yeah. what we're asking him for. Yes. You know, so they're putting wow. Isaac on the altar. So if they're putting water on the altar, wanting rain. Yeah. So that was like kind of what stuck out to me because yeah. even though I've heard the stories a million times, sometimes when you, somebody just pulls it all together, it's really cool. I love that about the Word of God. I really do. It's, it's living. It really is. Like, <laughs> yeah. I love the way it's just called that. 
And I could tell that's what you were doing too. And so I was like, ah, I need to finish reading the Bible in chronological order. Well, the Old Testament. I've already read the New Testament. But yeah, like when I hear that story, you know, for example, with the, with the wind and the earthquake and the fire, and then he, you know, then he heard the Lord like in a still small voice, not in those other things. Like when I hear stuff like that, I'm like, it, it just makes me like so like fascinated with mm -hmm. God you know so like I mean I wish we already are but you know what I mean like it, it just puts a lot of wonder so like I'm like yeah. I want to read the rest of these stories <laughs> it's it's amazing yeah I agree it does and I think what's cool too is that the whole reason they sacrifice their children is to bring rain you know you it's know, to bring the rain when 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 I heard you say that, I was like, man, it's just like America, like now, was sacrificing their babies for, you know, just, I guess, for money and, yeah, or whatever reason they're sacrificing their kids for. But then, when I was half asleep, I heard you say the same thing. That I, was, I think you said that, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, that was their form of abortion because yep. they didn't have the ability to go in with tools and yeah. things apart. They had to, um, they would wait till they were born and, and then and so because they had prostitution was encouraged in the temples and I, it was interesting when you were saying that too i was like that's so weird that fertility was such a big thing and they're wanting fertility and yet they have the baby and they keep throwing them in the fire yeah so what they wanted is lots of massive sex for free without consequences and then they have the consequence of the baby and they just decide to make that toss that on the fire and make that right a sacrifice yeah the devil is full of confusion which oh is my goodness yeah that's what we do today and i guess if they were offering it as a sacrifice that's like their religious justification for it whereas today people aren't religious so they have some other justification for it like oh well this is philosophical because feminism you know yeah mm. yeah so, all right, so in Luke 21, this is, I, I really don't have an eschatological view, which is like, means like a view on end times. I've been studying on like all the different views on it and where they get their views. I've really been studying that this past year, but I haven't, I don't have really, I haven't made a decision on this one's right and this one's wrong. Like I've just been learning about all the different end time views. So this is definitely an end time chapter, just yeah. Just a uh, warning <laughs> end time chapter. So I'm not going to go into what I think this all means according to end times. But I do want to point out some things that stuck out that I think relate to the character of God and just him bringing, like I said, the wind, like the things that come before the still small voice. And, and just to be aware of that and, and have our ears open for that, for the heart of God. Um, so chapter 21, Luke. Um, let's go. um Let's see, uh, I'm going to start with verse 5, although the poor widow is really cool in that story too, but I'm going I'm to just skip through that for just a minute. Some spoke of the temple and how it was adorned with, with goodly stones, this is King James, so y'all forgive the wording here, and gifts. And Jesus said, as for these things which you see, the days will come in which there will not be left one stone upon another that should not be thrown down. And, and that's true. Like that even happened in Habakkuk's day because he, when he wrote the book of Habakkuk, it was right before Babylon went through and just went through, appointed from God and destroyed the temple. Before that, the Assyrians went through, then Babylon went through. And then after Babylon, the, the Persians went through. And so there's just this God just like, tearing things down to get us to the we can get in this place where we hear his voice you know and so Habakkuk is saying saw the same destruction of the same temple and Jesus is saying it's going to happen again um well I don't know if Habakkuk saw it but God basically <laughs> the Babylonians destroyed the first temple they rebuilt it so this is the second one and uh Jesus is saying it's going to be it's going to be thrown down again. And they said, but master, when shall these things be? And what sign will there be that these things come to pass? And he says, well, take, 
take heed. I was going to do a lesson on take the word take heed, like listen to what you're, how you're thinking about things, mm-hmm. but uh, maybe in another time. But that you be not deceived, for many will come in my name. Many will come in my name, saying, I am Christ. Like, kind of saying, this is who Jesus is. This is who Jesus is. This is how you worship Jesus. This is how you do worship Jesus. This is how I, I think about that. Mm-hmm. And the time draws, and that time draws near. But go not after them. But when you shall hear of wars, commotions, the wind, the fire, the earthquakes, don't be terrified. These things must first come to pass, but the end is not not here yet or won't be there yet. Then he said to them, nation will arise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. Great earthquakes will be in different places and famines and pestilences and fearful sights and great signs that will be from heaven kind of like how the Lord revealed himself to Elijah and kind of like how he brought through the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Persians to just go through Jerusalem and try to get a hold of God's people, you know. Um, and they will, and before all these, they will lay their hands on you and they will persecute you, delivering you up to, to the synagogues, the church people, and into prisons, being brought before kings and rulers for my namesake. And, but it will turn, it will be for you as a testimony to testify about Jesus. Settle it therefore in your hearts and don't meditate on what you're going to answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which your adversaries will not be able to gainsay uh, or resist. And you will be betrayed by both parents and brothers and your kinsfolk and your friends. And some of you they will cause to be put to death. And you will be hated of all men for my name's sake. But there shall not a hair of your head perish. Um, I think that's just a phrase I used to, you know, it's kind of like a, just a phrase I used to use back then. Because, of course, our hair falls out all the time, you know. The but <laughs> just made me laugh. <laughs> yeah, all your <laughs> But he says this, he goes, in your patience, you possess your souls. So, like, Elijah's, like, standing in the mouth of this mountain. And... These things are coming through him, you know, like, I don't know what I would do if I was standing at the mouth of a cave and like a huge fire comes. I'd be like, ah, you know, run back inside the cave or like mountains coming. I'm like, what? like leaving the cave, you know, like, I don't know. Or, you know, this crazy wind comes. I'm on a mountain in a cave like I'd be freaking out, you know, but there's this still small voice. He's he holds fast. He stays where he's at. Um. And he says, and by patience, in your patience, you possess your souls. And when you shall see Jerusalem surrounded by all these armies, know that the, the desolation thereof is near. Well, that didn't only happen after Jesus. It happened during Habakkuk when he was like saying, God, you know, you're going to bring this country, this nation, Babylon, to destroy Jerusalem. And then, and then God's telling Elijah, he's going to bring these people to raise through Israel, you know, and and bring bring these things uh these judgments you know he says jesus says let those which are in judea go to the mountains and let them which are in the midst of it uh go out uh and i hope i'm reading this right and don't let them that are in the countries uh enter there into um this is again i need to read this in the modern day language for these are the days of vengeance and all that all these things which are written that all these things which are written may be fulfilled but woe to those who are with child and that give uh that have children in those days for there will be great distress in the land and wrath on this people just like god's pattern what throughout the whole testament the way he was using things to get their attention you know um and they will fall by the edge of the sword and will be led away captive into all nations. That's exactly what happened to God's people in the Old Testament. They were led away captive to Babylon. Uh, and Jerusalem will be trodden down by their enemies, by the Gentiles, until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Um, and there will be signs in the sun and in the moon and the stars and upon the earth. Uh, distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and its waves roaring, men's hearts failing them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth. So like not only like those things are going to shake them, but they're going to look even to the future and it's going to shake their hearts so much, you know, their hearts are going to fail them. 
um, for the powers of heaven will be shaken and they will see and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory and when these things begin to come to pass and look up and lift up your heads for your redemption draws near it's funny it always was funny to me that this is just kind of a side note that he says you'll see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and glory then he says well look up <laughs> your redemption is drawing near um, but he says to them uh, but oh and then he spoke to them in a parable and said behold the fig tree and all the trees uh, when they now shoot when they you know start to grow and shoot forth branches you know that your own you know of your own selves that summer is is at hand so likewise when you see these things come to pass know that the kingdom of God is near and at hand and verily I say to you that this generation will not pass away till all is fulfilled heaven and earth will pass away but my words will not pass away take heed to yourselves lest at any time your hearts be weighted down overcharged with, with uh, excess and drunkenness and the cares of this life so that they that day comes upon you unaware for as a snare it will be on all them that dwell on the face of the whole earth watch therefore and pray always that you may be accounted worthy to escape all these things and that and all the things that will come to pass and to stand before the son of man and so I don't know just just the character and in summary like without getting into all the s the end time stuff in this just the heart of God like not only showing in his character to Elijah the 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 crazy violent things coming and then the still small voice or to Habakkuk you know this crazy and Habakkuk is really distraught about it you know later he's like the Babylonians are coming are you serious like these guys are your enemies like why are they coming and God saying, stand and just, just stand with me. Just stand. Though you don't see any of this stuff, though, though you don't see anything good, just let you stand in faith and let your heart rejoice in the Lord, your salvation. Like stand in that. Have that patience. Have the patience to endure those things so that you can stand before the Son of Man. You know, you can stand with the Lord. And, um... And then Jesus saying the same thing, these, these earthquakes, you know, uh, pestilences, all these things are going to happen, but have our hearts to where we're, we're able to hear the still small voice of God, you know, and, and what that looks like. And so we'll be of that, that 7,000 that has not bowed the knee, you know, like what happened in Elijah's day. And we'll be able to hear his voice and look up and see that our redemption is drawing near and God is using this for his goodness for his glory and to, and to I don't know just to purify his people 